Okay, the readings this morning are taken from the first book of Kings, from chapters 6, 7 and 8. And we'll be starting on page 326 of the Church Bibles. So in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1, Solomon builds the temple. In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. Moving to verse 11. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. Then moving to verse 37 across the page. The foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid in the fourth year, in the month of Ziv. In the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, the eighth month, the temple was finished in all its detail according to its specifications. He had spent seven years building it. It took Solomon 13 years, however, to complete the construction of his palace. Then we move to chapter 8, verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is giving, is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day. This place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Thank you, Martin. Janet's going to speak on those verses now. I'm just going to pray for you first, Janet. Dear Lord, we give thanks for Janet and for the gifts you've given her, which she so willingly shares with others. 
Lord, we pray that you would speak through her now and that you would open our hearts in readiness for that message that you have for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good to be with you, leading and taking part in worship and then the church meeting today. May I speak in the name of God, creator, redeemer, sustainer. Amen. For those who don't know me, let me just tell you, I've been teaching the Old Testament for 25 years, and Hebrew Bible is my speciality. So you're going to get something from that. (laughs) Solomon's temple was probably a magnificent building, highly decorated with mythical creatures and plants. I spared you hearing the long description. We'd have been here till lunchtime hearing all of that. Nothing in the temple to suggest an image of God, God who was too holy, too unknowable to be depicted in any visible form. The temple was probably colourful and bedecked with gold. It was an attempt to symbolise the love. Eden simply means luxury. That mythical garden where God came to dwell with humanity. But for all its splendour, the temple was small and less ornate than Solomon's own palace, which if you were listening, you'll realise it took twice as long to build the palace as it did to build the temple. The connection between temple and royal palace was there from the outset. And Solomon built the temple as an act of obedience to God to ensure the continuation of the royal line as it had been promised to his father David. So in some ways chapels that we find today in royal palaces and stately homes, a place under the patronage of the monarch, a place where others could go and worship too and were invited to worship, but the status of the king was clearly in evidence all the time. Originally, the temple was the centre of the ancient Israelite sacrificial system. So it was the place where sin offerings, thank offerings, purification rites were conducted by the priests. The idea was that God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, the innermost sanctuary of the temple. by descending onto a cherubim throne, in other words, a seat with the carved mythical creature cherubim on the arms, and the Ark of the Covenant as the footstool for God. And that was behind a curtain in the Holy of Holies. 
And then there was a series of outer courts. And access to those courts was permitted in descending order. The chief priest could go to the innermost sanctuary just on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Then the priests could be in the next area. Israelite men could go into the next area. And women, children, court. We've changed that, thankfully. There was a sense of graded holiness. But no one could see God and enter that inner sanctum. For all its significance, in reality, the temple was only used by all Israel for about 40 years. Because then the kingdoms divided, and the temple belonged just to the southern kingdom of Judah, the smaller state. And it was used by Judah for about another 325 years before it was destroyed by the Babylonians at the same time as the Davidic monarchy came to an end. But by then, it already developed and they evolved even more radically during the time of exile. The passages we heard read from the books of Kings reflect these developments and the way the temple's symbolic significance, rather than any literal existence of a building, was what mattered for God's people. Even the implied date of the original building that was given, 12 times 40 years after Israel's exodus from Egypt, reflects its symbolic significance. They're symbolic numbers, and that date doesn't fit any accepted chronology. But it emphasizes a connection with God's saving work, Exodus, 40 years wandering in the wilderness, for all God's people, the 12 tribes. By the time of exile, God's people had already realized that it was impossible for God to be contained within the temple. Think about that vision the prophet Isaiah had that we read in Isaiah 6, where only the hem of God's robe fills the whole temple. God is too big to be in there. The idea of God had got bigger and bigger more majestic, more powerful. It was recognized that God can't be controlled by people, contained by people. God doesn't need somewhere to protect God. God is the one who gives protection. God is free to be at work anywhere, everywhere. God's not limited by any him, human imagination. And thankfully, God's not limited by our attempts to possess God, to own God, to keep God for ourselves. God is free. God is active wherever God chooses to be 
and in all places at all times. So when the temple was rebuilt after exile, the emphasis was on it as a dwelling place for God's name, not for any physical embodiment of God. And the idea of God's name is how Jews today still refer to God, Hashem, the name. They don't. And that the name, that ethereal presence of God, is to be found in the temple, was what they believed in that second temple period. And in Solomon's prayer, we heard a plea that God would look towards the house, the temple, to heed the prayers of the servant, of the people, when those prayers are directed towards the temple. So it's a focal place for prayer, a meeting place between heaven and earth, not a place that you necessarily needed to be in. And certainly there was no thought that God was only to be found in the temple. The temple became a place of pilgrimage, and this was particularly relevant from a time of exile onwards when many were still living in diaspora, many lived far away from the temple. So it was a place that you would aspire to go to on the major festival occasions and not somewhere that you went to regularly. There was regular worship there, conducted by the priestly class who reinstated the sacrificial cult, which lasted right the way down until the year 70 Common Era, when the temple was finally destroyed by the Romans. So there was regular worship going on, directed to God in the heavenly realm, but people everywhere understood it as a focal place to which they directed prayer. And if you think about it, if you feel alienated from God, that God is remote from you, to have the sense that there is somewhere that God is known and recognized and being worshipped is very helpful. It can sustain you in those dark times to know that others are worshipping when perhaps you feel unable to do so yourself. And we find some of this carried on in Orthodox worship today where there's that idea that it continues and you dob in and out to participate in it when you are able, but that continual worship of God is being carried on as a tradition by the faithful, and it never ends because God's activity never ends, and prayer never ceases to be offered in some place or another on earth. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers seeking help and petition from God, prayers of intercession for the world. So the temple becomes symbolic as a place where people commune with God 
no matter how far away one actually is, and I think my microphone's gone, but who cares? I'll keep going. No matter how remote they were living, the temple is that holy place that symbolizes that relationship between God in heaven and humanity on earth. We know it was a place to which Jesus went for festivals, but he prayed anywhere and everywhere and probably directed his prayer towards Jerusalem, where the temple was. And of course, churches have been built facing east. So the altar is in the east, pointing in that direction of Jerusalem and the temple. So it carries on in Christian tradition, this idea of a focal place where prayer is directed, but also each and every church building becomes a place where God's name, the name of Jesus, is to be found and to be proclaimed as a focal place for prayer and worship. We're going to share in communion in bread and wine. Sacrament that symbolizes God and humanity. And that's what the concept of temple and the worship offered there was all about. A place where God's people could know that there was a holiness, a specialness about God and God's commitment in covenant to the people at large. And I pray that this church and all Christian holy buildings and all may be that meeting point for God and to be recognized as people so that we might be united with God, in Christ, and with each other, renewed sustained by prayer, by sacrament, by worship, to become that body of Christ, working and continuing God's mission of love to all around us. Amen.